0: Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a very special episode of the Built on Purpose podcast, where each episode I interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. My hope for our listeners is that you can take away a special nugget of information from each of these interviews, something that will serve you and the people most important to you in pursuing a life built on purpose. My name is Brian Moore, co-founder and managing partner of Scouts, and today I'm interviewing Kristen Hadid, the founder of Student Made. In this episode, Kristen shares with us her journey, a journey which began with a desire to to buy a pair of expensive blue jeans. From one simple pair of blue jeans, a company was born that is flying in the face of the current stereotype that millennials are entitled and not willing to do the hard work to grow their careers. If you haven't heard of Student Made, it's a cleaning company. That's right, college students cleaning toilets. Over the last seven years, Kristen has grown Student Made from just an idea to a place where college students gain valuable real work experience and where the students virtually manage themselves. Accountability and feedback, two of the many important lessons being taught at Student Made. If you have kids who are about to go into school and you're wondering how they're going to do in the real world, or you have millennials in your workplace, this is an interview you do not want to miss. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this engaging interview with Kristen Hadid. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to bring onto the show Kristen Hadid. Kristen, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this.
0: So I want to jump right in. And as I was doing some of my research, I stumbled upon a TEDx talk. And in it, you were talking about an experience back when you were 15 that really changed how you thought about work. And this this impact I'm referring to uh, dealt directly with a science teacher that you really mm-hmm. there was something so magical about this experience and a feeling that has really guided how you approach work and 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 I want you to share a little but can you share with us that story to give a little bit of a framework of how all this started
1: Yes I'm so glad you chose this story it's, it's my favorite story so I had a, a teacher and actually she was my middle school science teacher her name is Miss Traster and she taught me in middle school and then moving on to high school, I was really bummed that she, you know, wouldn't be my teacher anymore. And then we learned that Miss Tracer was also moving to our high school. So it was really exciting. And my sophomore year in in high school, I learned that Miss Tracer was diagnosed with breast cancer. And it was, you know, pretty, pretty bad. She had to get chemotherapy. And I remember sitting at lunch with five of my friends and we we're just talking about Miss Tracer and, and, you know, what can we do for her. And we came to the realization that we can't take her cancer away, but but there's got to be something that we can do I and mean, we were only 15 years old. And we came up with this idea. We called it Project Pink. And we knew that Miss Tracer would get her chemotherapy treatments on Tuesdays. So we thought if we could get the whole school to wear pink on Tuesdays, it would show Miss Tracer that we're supporting her, and Miss Tracer would come to work after her treatment. So we started Pink Tuesdays, and we didn't tell anyone that we were the ones behind this project, and what happened was pretty, it was pretty incredible. It, it spread, this little initiative that these 15-year-olds started spread throughout our community. You would go to the grocery store on a Tuesday, and people in the grocery store, would be wearing pink, or you would drive by the movie theater, and on the marquee, it would say, "Wear pink on Tuesdays for Mrs. Tracer," and she ended up beating her cancer. And when we we graduated from high school, my friends and I decided to reveal that we were the ones behind Project Pink, so that Miss Traster would know that it was us. And so we came into her classroom, and we had the school band, and the band was playing music, and we did this whole. Reveal and and told her we were the ones behind Project Pink and she got really emotional and she told us that we saved her life. She said, "I felt alone and and then with the support of Project Pink, I felt like I wasn't alone anymore and and that's why I survived. And I didn't really realize at that, that age the magnitude of what I had learned and and now looking back, I realize the reason why that was so special is because Here we were doing all this work for her, but she didn't know it was us. We were in the, in the background, you know, and it was all about Ms. Tracer. It was all about bringing people together. And it didn't matter if we got the credit or not. And I think that's what leadership is about. I think leadership is, you know, standing on the sidelines, letting, not taking the credit, letting your people take the credit. And I also learned what it feels like to be working on something you really are passionate about and you really care about. And I think at 15, that was a great thing for me to feel because I always looked for that feeling. And I, I I could say that with my cleaning company that I started in college, I had that feeling. And that is why I turned down a job in finance to stick with my cleaning company, because I chose to go after the same feeling I had that I felt when when I worked on Project Pink.
0: Yeah, so talk a little bit more about that. And by the way, thank you so much for sharing that story. It's uh, it, hearing you tell it live uh, is even more powerful than than what I was able to uh, to watch on on the video, which was fantastic as well. But this is it's just fantastic. Um, when you started Student Made, and you had that opportunity with the finance uh, company to pursue a you know quote unquote real job, and there was this feeling, this intuitive. feeling, Felt sense of you know I'm going to turn down the conventional wisdom and and continue to pursue this thing that I've created. Were you able? Mm-hmm. Was it was it super apparent for you as to what the feeling was about how student made was creating impact, or has that come over time?
1: You know that it certainly has come over time, and I remember. I mean, I graduated. You know I was 21 years old, and I here I am being offered this job and it's it's the dream job. You know, it's what every internship and every organization I was a part of, it was supposed to be leading me to this job, you know, living in New York, this big salary, you know, finance. And when I looked at that job, I just wasn't excited about it. And for some reason I was so excited about this cleaning company, but we were, we were cleaning toilets and I couldn't articulate or, or explain why I chose student made. Act. The answer I would give people is it just feels right. And it took me a long time to realize what it is about student made that that makes me feel this way. And it's not the cleaning. I, I realize that the cleaning is the vehicle. And the vehicle the vehicle can always change. It's that our culture is very much about building people up, especially these young people. You know, we employ students and so this is a really critical time I think in their lives where we can have a really big impact. And it's not about cleaning, it's about growing these people and teaching them things that are critical for their success down the road. And we measure our success based on how much they learn and grow. And I, I would say it probably took me five or six years to realize that's what it is for me. And I do these other things. I I love, you know, speaking to college students and I think it's the same thing. It's because I hope to have an impact in their lives. I hope to teach them things that I learned, so that they can be more successful because of what they heard. And I think all these things have something in common. And in the in thread that is between all of them is that I'm really excited about empowering people to try to transcend whatever limit they have that they think is holding them back. And it just so happens that student-made is a vehicle where we can do that every day with our people.
0: Is there criteria around who you will employ from the students versus those that you won't?
1: Yes. It, when we started, um, I had a 3.5 GPA requirement. And the reason was I, I got a contract and I had a short period of time to hire a lot of people. And so I figured that that would be a, a good way to weed people out. And I had a 3.51 GPA at the time. So that was the, the cutoff could not go higher than than that. And I realized over time a 3.5 GPA doesn't really doesn't really mean anything. I mean, yeah, you, you know, you're doing well in your classes, but it doesn't show a person's heart. It doesn't show if a person is really open to growing and learning and, and good at, you know, wanting feedback. So we totally changed the way that we, that we recruit, and it's based on, you know, you have to be a student. It doesn't matter if you're in high school, college, graduate school, cosmetology school. You just you have to be a student. And we really test, you know, an interview is somebody who is open to learning and growing because that's what our culture is about. And the 3.5 GPA doesn't matter to us anymore because it doesn't define who a person is. You
0: know, it's interesting because a lot's been made over the last handful of years. And I'll pick on Google just for a moment uh, that, you know, they were always so well known for having some of the most unique hiring processes. And obviously a lot was based upon pedigree and school graduated from and GPA and all kinds of really interesting, uh, challenging interview questions. And they have since uh, gone completely away from that because they found no, no correlation between where somebody went to school and what their GPA is and on, on the job performance and impact delivered. And it sounds like you sort of figured out the same thing through your own trial and error. Definitely. Definitely. So, and I,
1: you know, I think we don't even have interview questions, like it's, it's a conversation. And we we truly try to get to know who this, who this person is and what they're looking for. Because the the question to us is, will they thrive here? You know, it's not, will they make us money? Will they be somebody who, you know, is able to clean a lot of, house, a lot of houses? It's, will they thrive? Will they enjoy it? Will they look forward to walking through our doors every day? And I think to do that, you have to really be able to have a conversation and build a relationship and ask questions that might be non-traditional.
0: So if I if I go a little deeper on this this these concepts of learning and growing, which are fantastic, right? I mean, people who want to learn, who want to grow, you know, uh, underneath that is is likely an incredible sense of curiosity and just having this uh, unbridled sense of wonder. How do you determine if someone is truly and genuinely curious?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, I think, so we deal, most of our employees are millennials and millennial the millennial generation and I'm a millennial. Feedback is very hard to take because many of us are not used to that direct feedback. A lot of times, the first time we're getting it is in our, our job, our first job. So, there are students that we have, though, that they ask, What could I be doing better? Um, tell me more about that. Or, you know, in the interview, even asking questions like, Is there anything I could have done better in my interview? When I see something like that, I know somebody is really open to learning and growing and, and just get curious like what could I be doing better. Um, and, and I think in, in our, with the generation we're working with that is just when we see that we know that's an instant sign that this person is really, really open to learning and growing. I would say most people, we have to kind of get them over, over this hump. Like we, you know, I wouldn't say everyone comes into our culture completely ready to, to be pushed into their, you know, the zone that is not comfortable. Um, I think that we have to push them there. But the question is, how far do we have to push them? Got it. So we have a rule, and the rule that student made is we're going to give you everything that we possibly can. We're going to give you the foundation, give you all the tools. We're going to believe in you. We are going to be standing right there. We are on your team, but you have got to be standing there, too. And we've got to see that you're making progress and you're you're coming closer to where we're standing. So, we require that everyone shows up. You know, that means mentally, you got to be there, you got to be present, you have to be trying. And as long as you're doing that, we're going to hang in there. But if, if we're having to carry you, we, we can carry you a day or two. But if we have to carry the same person every day, it's not working out. And that's how we evaluate who stays on the team and who doesn't.
0: And so I would have to assume, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that oftentimes okay. from the, the properties, whether it's commercial or residential that you're cleaning, that you're sending crews. It's not necessarily just one person solo. I'm sure that may happen from time to time, but I'll assume it's mostly in crews. Do the crews, right. are, are are they self-managing or self-regulating crews? Do Do they sort of... Mm-hmm help weed people out when that's just too much of a burden to carry and somebody just is consistently underperforming?
1: Yeah. So our fruit, we do send always in teams of two, sometimes more than two. They have complete autonomy. They don't have a manager over their shoulder and we're very big on accountability and feedback. And we teach, you know, part of our training is how to have these conversations where You need to call somebody out on something that they're doing, on on how they're hurting the team, on the impact they're having on the people around them. And we make these conversations comfortable. They're a part of our culture. So it's it's really common that one of our, you know, a member from our leadership team will walk in and call our management team our leadership team. So a member of our leadership team will walk in and one of our students will give them feedback on how they could be a a better manager, a better leader. So it's a very comfortable environment where those conversations are... normal they're required and we find that our that our employees are able to solve their own problems like you know they don't if there's a team member that's not carrying their weight our students are comfortable telling that person and and helping them improve and then if it gets to a point where that person isn't you know showing up then we hear hey i've tried everything and this person is still doing this and then we say okay it's probably time to go but we've created a culture where fourteen year olds have autonomy, and fourteen and fifteen year olds who are you know glued to their cell phones are able now to look someone in the eye and sometimes someone much older than them and give direct feedback on how that person could be better.
0: You know you talk about millennials, and it's obviously a very hot topic as you know the younger generations and even the generation following the millennials over the next handful of years, that these are going to be the largest uh, segments of our workforce. And Mm -hmm. not better, not worse, just different than the generations that have come before them. And I think, Mm -hmm. uh, frankly, my opinion, and I'm going to guess yours as well, is that millennials uh, have received a lot of criticism. And frankly, um, I, I think millennials for the first time and perhaps a long time have their priorities straight. I'm curious, what's been the biggest learnings for you about this mm-hmm. group that you've been employing over the last handful of years?
1: Mhm. Well, I think number 1, you know, it's the understanding of why is why are the millennials the way they are. And I think we have to look to parenting. You know, I think that our parents wanted to give us everything that they didn't have, and more, and we were the generation that got the trophy when we didn't even hit the ball once all season, and we got the pizza party when we won last place, and we got a sticker if we got an A, but we also got a sticker if we got a D, so we, we were, we grew up with praise and constant, you know, recognition, and I think that a lot of our parents, didn't, you know, maybe they didn't let us fail because they loved us, but they protected us. And so now here we are going into the workplace. We've never really failed before. So we're afraid to mess up because we don't know what happens when we mess up because we've never really experienced it. And the last place we want it to happen is at work. Sure. Especially our first time really messing up. We don't know how to handle feedback. And, you know, sometimes we might cry. We might get angry. I mean, we have parents who call us when we give their children feedback sometimes. I mean we, we do not know how to handle it because we're not used to it. So I I think number one is we have to have an understanding of why we are this way. And then we have to look at the way we're leading. And I think leading and parenting are pretty similar. You know, if if our millennials can't solve problems at work because they're so afraid of failure, are we doing anything to 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 contribute to that problem? Are we solving the problem of our millennials at work? Or are we creating a culture that says, you know what, you're going to solve the problem, and it's okay if you fail, because that's how you learn. And the next time you you get faced with a problem like that, you're going to be more confident going into that situation. So I think the biggest thing I realized is we, we we built a culture where we're doing everything wrong. We're letting people fail. We're letting them make mistakes. We're actually pushing them to do these things. We're giving them feedback. We're watching them cry, and we're giving it to them again. We're doing everything wrong in that sense, but we're getting it right. Because every time they fail, it's hard to watch. It's hard for them. But then the next time, they're so much better. And then the next time, they're so much better. And then they build confidence and they can solve these problems and, and they're more empowered. And then when we give them feedback the first time, yeah, it's terrible. But the second time's better. The third time is better. And then they get to a point where they can give feedback to others. So I think the, the, the one thing I would say that, that I see is, we play the victim. Millennials say this organization isn't right for me because of the leaders in this organization, or because of this organization. And an organization will say this organization, the culture isn't right because of our millennials. And like, millennials are are the problem. But it's, we're both playing the victim. Like really, we need each other. We 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 have to put down the finger that's blaming the other, and we both need each other to build an environment that brings out the best in everyone. And we all want the same thing. We all need the same thing. It's to contribute to something and to feel like we belong to something. That's a human need. That's not just a millennial need. So it's tough, but we're, we're it's very challenging, but I think we have to understand, take a second to pause and say, why, why is it the way it is? Yeah. And when we have that understanding, we can start to, to bridge that gap.
0: So in this spirit of uh, you know, it, encouraging positive failure, forward looking mm-hmm. failure, learning experiences, Mm-hmm. have has has any of that culture had a negative impact on your customers' experiences, or have you been able to involve and, and essentially enroll some of your customers in being a part of this really profound set of failing forward experiences that might be happening mm-hmm. for the first time for these folks?
1: Yes. So I, our customers, they know when they hire student maid, they are getting a student. Who you know, I, I we I will say we are not the best cleaning service when it comes to the technical, like the actual cleaning. We train, yes, but you know we we believe train for a little bit. Send send them up, send them out into the houses. Like they're going to learn, they're going to figure it out, and our customers buy into that. And they buy into the fact that they're helping this young person grow and learn by getting feedback, and they look for ways to do that. So when the student messes up, you know, I would say in another cleaning company, maybe the customer would be really upset. But instead, with with our service, the customer says, ooh, this is a chance to make that a learning opportunity. How do you, so everything how, we do is yeah. about feedback.
0: How do you properly, because mm-hmm. um, it's a fascinating environment that you've created. You're really you're involving your customers in this unbelievable learning opportunity for your for your employees. How, how do you make mm-hmm. sure that the customer is really bought into that? I'm fascinated mm-hmm.
1: by that. Yeah, you know we well. Whenever it comes to a new customer, we really spend time to explaining to them what it is that we're doing here and, you know, why we exist, why we feedback is so important. And we can tell in that conversation if this customer is somebody who's really bought into that, or if they're just, if they're looking for, you know, like the best cleaning service, we, we might say, you know, our students are probably going to mess up and we, maybe we're not the best fit. And so we, we do say no to people. And I think that's hard to do as a business, but we want people who are in line with what we, you know, who believe what we believe and who bought into our why, which is all about this empowering these young people to to grow and, and transcend these limits. So we have to say no, we have to turn people down, but we spend, we make sure that that it's clear what you're buying into. And sometimes we get it wrong, and we think the customer might be a great fit, but it usually takes a service or two to realize it's not working out. And we don't have a problem with telling the customer you'd probably be happier somewhere else, and and that that move might be better for you and for us.
0: I mean, I lo- I love the idea of involving the customers in this learning opportunity, and and using that really as a, as a criteria for. Uh, whether or not they're going to be the right customer for you, I think it's I think it's fantastic, and obviously creates just this wonderful environment. So kudos mm-hmm. to you for having the courage to to do that and and be able to turn business away because, as you said, you know revenue obviously is a requirement. You know, be socially irresponsible mm-hmm. to not drive profitability, but how you do it mm-hmm. really matters, and who you do it with really matters. So kudos to you mm-hmm. for that. I'm. Uh, I, I want to talk for a moment about values. And I had Mm -hmm. a chance to visit your site, your personal site, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you list out your core values, you know, find the positive in every situation, be present, Mm -hmm. believe Mm -hmm. in and empower others. You know, in my world and working with organizations and with leaders, there's not a whole lot of people that have actually been able to identify what their core values are. So a few questions Mm -hmm. on that. How mm-hmm. how did you do it? How did you know they were the right ones for you? And mm-hmm. and is there advice you can share so others can follow in the footsteps in your footsteps? Mm-hmm.
1: It's funny that you bring up those values because that's a reminder that I need to change my my website. <laughs> so let me tell you about our values. So we have we have ten core values that student made, and these ten core values came about because of a book I read, that I'm sure you're familiar with, called Delivering Happiness by sure. Tony Hsieh. of course. Zappos. And I read that when I was in college and it sparked some interest in me and I thought, man, I really should have some values for this company. And so we did that. As a team, we identified 10 things that we thought were the most important things and we really wanted to make them catchy and ones that we would remember. So for example, one is be classy, not sassy. Because our slogan is cleaning with class and so we're always representing this brand. So we came up with these ten things. And, you know, sometimes I'll be speaking and someone will ask me, What are your ten values? And I can always name nine of them. And then there's this like it's always a different one every time. But I'm like, I can't I ever remember all ten. And so then I started thinking, if I can't remember all ten, how on earth can I expect anyone else to remember all 10? <laughs> so I did this little experiment and we had, this is actually not too long ago. We had a, a leadership team meeting and I put a blank piece of paper in everyone's spot 10. And I said, okay, write down our 10 values. And it was shocking. I mean, people who have been with our company since the beginning, since 2009 could not, they could get four out of 10. So, and we talk about our values all the time. I mean, they're on our wall. So we, you have to walk by them every day. So we just kind of laughed as a group and we thought, well, man, if, if we're averaging four out of 10, what are our students averaging? You know, that that can't be good. So what we what we determined is these values, first of all, you can't remember 10. So we decided to narrow it down to five. We didn't get rid of our values, but we decided to make action because when you look at a value, like let's say integrity is a value or leadership or teamwork, everyone has a different definition of it. And you can't tell somebody, hey, live up to our teamwork value and expect that they know what that means and what that looks like. So we came up with five actions. We said if we do these five things every single day, our values will come to life. So, for example, one is we always take the time to to stop, smile, and say Hello. So, when you walk into our office, each person you encounter stops, acknowledges you, they smile at you, and they say hello. And another one is we always take the opportunity to ask what we could do better. So, when I'm having a conversation with a team member, I say, Is there anything we could be doing better for you? When we talk to a customer, when our students talk to customers, is there anything that I could be doing better? So, we've given these five actions, we, we know exactly what they look like. They're very simple. They're very easy to understand. And now we can remember all five and we know what to do every day. And if, if we just do these five things, the values come to life. So I think the key when it comes to values is think about action. The value is a result. If you want people to live with integrity, well, what does that look like? You know, it could be something like we always tell the truth, even when it's hard, or uh, if you want people to, to live, honor a, a value of commitment. It could be, we always do what we say we're going to do. You know, think of the action that you can give people or the action that you're going to take. And if you take this action and and, and we all take these actions, the values naturally come to life. So that was a really big turning point for us. And the, the moment we introduced these into our culture, I mean, night and day transformation because we, people knew, they, they knew what it looked like. They could do it.
0: That's fantastic. You know, and it, it reminds me of another book that is all around values. It was uh, authored by Anne Rhodes. The book is called built on values and, mm-hmm. uh, a- and, uh, ha- her, her, resume is a decor- decorated with a who's who in some of the most values, uh, driven organizations like Southwest airlines and JetBlue. blue, mm-hmm. um, And she's, uh, she's always been at the helm of the people and and talent function. So just another great book that, uh, that I would, I would recommend you'd, you'd you'd love it. You'd love it, but you're already doing uh, so much of where I think most organizations miss and, you know, they hang the values on the wall. There's a list of seven, 10, whatever the number is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the exercise that, that you, that you did with your leadership team uh, is that's, that's the proof. Are these values something that we really know and as part of the DNA or is this just a poster on the wall that looks good for when people mm-hmm. come to visit?
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think values, like these, these actions, these values, when you can really – when everyone really understands them and knows what they mean, what they look like, it's such a powerful tool, especially for millennials. Yep. Um, to be able to solve problems, because they're like a compass. And, yeah. and so what we say to our students is, as long as you make a decision that's in line with our values, it does not have to have the best outcome. The outcome could be could be horrible. But as long as the intent was was there, as long as you really intended to to make this decision and, and, you, and it's in line with the values, and it wasn't, you know, made out of greed or, you know, we will we will support you. We will stand beside you. You will not lose your job. We may talk about how you could. Make a better decision next time, but we take the fear away and we give them a compass to make decisions, and that's how we're able to really empower them. And that is why the 14 year olds have autonomy because we know they can make a decision because they have these these values. They know what they look like.
0: Yeah, they understand what the behavior, what the value in action, what the behavior looks like. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Good. To, to, congratulations. It's just fantastic. As, as you're doing, I know you're doing a ton of speaking, which is great. I mean, you need to be out there doing what you're doing, so please keep it up. When you're out doing corporate events in particular, and the audience is a mm-hmm. group of business professionals, I'm, I'm super curious. Well, are, is there a common question or two that you are always fielding? Yes. Yeah. So
1: it's so funny because the- – you know, at the beginning of the talk, I believe a lot of times when I'm asked to speak, it's about the millennial generation. You know, how do we engage our millennials at work? And, you know, our millennials, we just can't figure them out. You know, they're motivated differently. We don't understand. We don't. And so that's usually why I am called in. And at the beginning of the talk, I think everyone in the audience is thinking millennials, millennials, millennials. And by the end, it's so funny to see the shift because people say out loud, "Wow, this isn't just this, this isn't a millennial problem. This is this is everyone's problem. Like, you know, the things that millennials want, really, it's the same things that we want. It's just millennials express it differently. And I think that's the key is that 87% of our, you know, according to Gallup, 87% of us are disengaged at work. Right. That's more than a millennial problem." So I think what starts as a millennials, how do we, you know, millennials have a problem. How do we change the way, you know, the culture so that they thrive? it, It shifts to, wow, we all kind of have a problem here. And how do we make our environment better so that we all thrive? Yeah. And I think the two, the two, the feedback piece with millennials, it's tough. You know, you give a millennial feedback and they might cry. They might get angry. They might quit. Or you might get a call from their mother or father.
0: <laughs> you know,
1: it happened to us.
0: I can't uh, even imagine. You must have some amazing stories about just some of the experiences that have happened over the last few years.
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, and, and then I would say the other piece of it is my, my millennial is telling me I want more responsibility, yet they're late you know, they're, they're missing meetings or they they can't even handle the responsibilities they, they currently have. And, but again, wh- how, why? Like, how do we get to this to this point? Well, millennials were told, you can do anything. You can be anything. You know, the, the sky is the limit. And that was a picture that was painted for us. And it's not true because money and experience and all these things matter, but we don't really realize that until we're now in the workforce and, and it hits us like a ton of bricks. And it's so. It's so funny is that these people in the audience, they they say, "Oh yeah," but then they realize, "Oh my goodness, I'm doing that to my child at home." Like, the, like the, there's a, you know, what you're complaining about with your millennials at work, you're doing that to your children. So I think it becomes a bigger. It's a. It's a bigger. It, you almost leave thinking about. The way you're parenting as well. Because, yeah,
0: you end up I mean, becoming a family. Thing. Yeah, you're like a family psychologist. Uh, all wrapped, <laughs> all wrapped up in a business message.
1: Yeah, I don't know if that's good or <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: You know, at the end of the day, and you said this earlier. Um, I'm a parent. Uh, I've got two. I have uh-huh. two kids. It's done from a place of love. That's all we just, right. we, we want right. to love them and protect them and give them the, the the best life that we can. And that, frankly, is. Right. That's what all parents really aspire to do. So at mm-hmm. least it comes, from, it comes from the right place. That's for sure.
1: Absolutely.
0: So like there's this other, uh, I, I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about that. You started this organization, you know, six-ish, seven years ago, cleaning toilets. Like mm-hmm. not the most exciting thing in the world. You're cleaning toilets. Mm-hmm. Yet I think what it demonstrates is from a, from a, from the entrepreneurial perspective that you've done the frontline work. Like you, there's no one you're going to hire who's going to do a job you haven't done already. And obviously you did it incredibly well. Otherwise you wouldn't have the level of success that you're having. W- what can... Mm-hmm. What can be learned from cleaning toilets? <laughs> yes, a
1: lot. Humility <laughs> is number one. Sure. Yeah, you know i I think it's I think it's really special that I that I started the way I did. I, you know, at the time I didn't recognize that, but the fact that I can now say I have been in your shoes. I know what it feels like. I know. When you tell your friend that you clean you clean houses, and someone makes fun of you, they call you a maid or a cleaning lady or a cleaning person. You know, I, I know what that feels like. It doesn't feel good. And I think what that made me want to do is it it wanted I wanted to have a situation where when you say I work with student maid, you're proud to say that. And when someone says I can't believe you clean houses or I can't believe you turned down a finance job for a cleaning company or Oh, you're just a cleaning person. I want that person, that student, to be able to say back to them, "No, I am not just a cleaning person. This is what we do." So I had to work to build something people would be proud of. And I think there's a lot that you can learn when you put yourself in the shoes of the people you lead. You know, every now and then I I, I try to do do the things maybe I I haven't done in a while, like answer the phone and talk to a customer or, you know, lead a a, a team meeting in the morning before the students go out and, and clean their, their client's houses. Because I think you have to constantly be reminded what they're going through every day and what they feel. And, and our leadership team, we're all, we've all been in their shoes. You know, our leadership team, everyone on our team, they started cleaning houses and then they grew into the role they're in now. And there's just something really powerful about about being able to say hey I've I've been there I know what you're going through. I, you, you have empathy for these people. It's hard, but I think when you see on someone's resume that they cleaned houses, they cleaned someone else's dirty toilet for two years, that says so much about a person. You know, that they that person is willing to do whatever it takes. They they aren't afraid of dirty work of hard work because it's hard. And I I have more respect for people now. When I see people in in jobs like that, I have so much respect for them. And when I go in the airport and I see somebody sweeping the floor, I go up to them and I say, thank you for what you do. Because we do not recognize people who do these jobs enough.
0: Yeah, you're you're so right. You're so right. That's a really great point. It's a really great point. Your sister. Yeah. (laughs) Does she work with you?
1: She did. Yes. She. We worked together for. It's Lauren, two right? Here. She. Yes, Lauren. We were in a transition period, or she was in a transition period after college. So we worked together for two years, and it's so funny because she was in New York now, and at the time it was really hard to work together. It wasn't the right thing for us for our relationship, but she. Uh, she never said thank you. Know, she never really talked about what she learned in the culture. She never really said. You know, thanks for the experience. So I always wondered, did it did this experience impact her? And then she just got a job. she's actually leading a, a team of people, it's a really big company in New York. And so she called me after she accepted the job and she said, "I just want you to know that the time spent at she made really helped me. And I asked the right questions in the interview about the culture, and I compared you know the culture here to the culture that I knew with you. and and so it was, it was cool to hear that. But my mom worked with us.
0: What's that? Like? Mother, What's that I, like?
1: I, I never thought that would happen. Well, one day I just asked, "What's your dream job?" You know, you can do anything. Well, my sister and I were out of the house, and she lives an hour and a half away from where our office is here. And she said, "My dream job would be to work with your team at Student Made." So she commutes to our office. She doesn't come every week, but she has called herself. She made up her own title as Bob. And so I came in one day and everyone's calling her Bob. And I asked, why are you calling her Bob? And I found out it stands for boss of boss. (laughs) I will let you think that. Sure. But it's been really special. And, and she is so engaged and she loves it. And she, I mean, she's told our team, you know, this is unlike anything I've ever been a part of. And I just wish that I could have had this experience, you know, earlier in my life. And, And I think that proves it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if it's cleaning toilets, if it's Wall Street, if it's, you know, it's the environment and how it makes you feel. And that's what it's all about. And it doesn't matter how old you are. I think that's something that everybody wants.
0: You know, it all comes full circle back to where we started our conversation today and what you did Mm -hmm. for uh, Mrs. Uh, Am I saying it right? Treester? Yes. Yeah, you know, it all goes back to when you were 15, and this behind the scenes, not looking for the spotlight, uh, to do something that was really meaningful for someone else, and there was nothing in it for you whatsoever than to give of yourself to help someone else, and mm-hmm. you know, it's it's uh, it's a real lesson that I think can be taken away from what you're up to, and will continue to do that leadership and today's leaders those that have the honor and privilege of leading companies that it's mm-hmm. it is their responsibility to create an environment where they're there to serve and develop everyone so that they can be their best person bring their whole self to work and create memorable and special experiences for the clients and and coworkers that they interact with every day Mhm you
1: know and it's not easy i mean the first, within the first year of me starting student made, I had a day where 45 people quit on me the same exact time. You know, I was not a good leader, but you learn. I mean, with every, every mistake, every mess up, you just learn and you become better. And I mean, I, I think I could be a much better leader than I am, but I'm doing the best I can. And every day I try to learn something new and be a better leader tomorrow than I am today. And I think if everyone just kind of had that mentality, we would be our, what would our
0: world look like? Yeah. It's a great question and a a really great place to, uh, to pause here. And, uh, and, and I, I just can't thank you enough, Kristen, for joining us. I, I think what you're up to you and your team and what you've built, uh, is incredibly special and wish you nothing but the best on this continued journey. And, uh, You know, as I reflect back and, again, back to some of the research I did, and especially the businesses that you and your sister created when you were very little and selling household items and lemonade and all these different things, Mm -hmm. you know, based on your journey so far, it's probably not that uh, monumental a prediction. But you're certainly destined for additional great things, and I can't wait to see what, what you continue to do. Thank you. Have a great uh, a great road trip! I know you're out to do some uh, some speaking here. Is there any uh, any any URL or websites or anything that you'd like to uh, to share with our listeners? Anything that uh, is of the utmost important to you right now? In addition to Student Made,
1: well, we uh, we do have a book that is being published um, by Penguin Books, and it will be released sometime in 2017. So I would say if, you know, our story is interesting to you and you want to learn more about our environment and how we created it um, and how to create this in your, where you are, we, I w- you could check my website because I know that we'll have something on, on my site about the book and when it will, it'll, it will be out. So my website is just kristenhadid.com.
0: And that's Kristen, K R I S T E N. Hadid H A D E E D dot com. Yes. That's awesome. Kristen, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. This Uh, is great.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Thanks. Until next time, thank you for listening, folks. You can obtain a transcribed version of this show and hear more interviews from the Built on Purpose podcast on our website, whyscouts.com forward slash podcast. There were quite a few questions I didn't have the opportunity to address during my time with Kristen. I'm guessing you may have a burning question or two as well. Kristen has agreed to answer any further questions from our listeners, so please drop me a line at brian at whyscouts.com with your questions, and I'll forward them on to Kristen. If you enjoyed her interview, there are several others I think you'll dig as well. Megan French Dunbar, co-founder of Conscious Company Magazine, Louis Efron, author of How to Find a Job, Career, and Life You Love, and Ann Rhodes, former chief people officer at Southwest Airlines and author of Built on Values, are just a few of the many episodes you can find at yscouts.com forward slash podcast. I promise more great interviews are on the way. Thanks again for listening.